right, well, if you don't know me, my name's Sam. I'm one of the elders here in the church. Uh, you may have noticed, if you're a regular, that the chairs are a bit more squashed up. Uh, it's so nice that it's a bit denser to preach to you all this morning. Uh, we've done that because we can fit another 150 chairs in uh, by squishing you in, and it has been a bit tighter lately. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. We want to create some more space. Uh, deacons, that's the first time you've heard about that, but 150 chairs, please. Uh, all right, and then... Um, and so uh, we're just going to squish you in a bit more to create more space so that uh, hopefully you'll be looking around going, gee, I wish there were a few more people here, and then you will share the gospel with your neighbor. Uh, the, the theme verse of the book of Acts is, and then the word grew and the church grew. It happens every four to six chapters throughout the book of Acts. What does that mean? It means as people shared the word, people believed and were saved, and the church grew in number, and as it grew in number, there were more people who shared the word, and the church grew, and the word grew, the church grew, all right? So as we do that, we're going to need more space, because people are going to come to salvation for the glory of Jesus, amen? All right, that's our goal. Uh, and secondly, just to let you know, so we're currently in the Gospel-Shaped Mercy series, uh, That'll take us through most of the year, and then we'll have a little crisp Christmas series to finish. Mic drop. Um, and, uh, and then uh, at the end of that Christ next year, sorry, we are going to preach through 1 and 2 Peter. So that's our exegetical work next year, 1 and 2 Peter. So that should be a, a great journey to go through next year. That's where we're at. All right. This morning. Sometimes in church, I like to get a show of hands uh, in order to get a feel for where people are at. And this is not one of those occasions. Because if I asked you to put up your fingers in regards to how many people in this room you don't like, it just might be a little brutal. Uh, and so we're just not going to go there this morning, but that's kind of what I want you to think about. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands if you don't like me, because I just can't take the hit. But... Um, the reality is, though, there are people in this room that you don't particularly like. It's true. Now, sometimes befriending people is easy because we have similar interests, similar personalities. However, sometimes you simply clash with people. You just don't see eye to eye with some people. And friendship is difficult. Like I said, other people, natural affinity. Other people, natural clash. Now, the exception to the rule, what makes, makes this a little interesting, is when it comes to family. Now, I know, you know family members who don't really get along. True? Family members where there is one sort of clash or another's. However, those same family members would defend each other to their dying breath because they're family. And so you have that sibling or cousin whom no one is allowed to murder but you, right? Feel free to look at them now, all right? So uh, that's the reality, right? That's how family works. That's the joy of family. So obviously, that leads us back to the church. Sure, there are people here you don't naturally get along with. There are people here who have all kinds of weirdness about them. Those who wear shoes inside the house. Those who allow pets in their bedroom. <laughs> people who think car racing is a sport. 
the people who read the Christian fiction romance novels in our library, right? Seriously, there are all kinds of weird connections and some are natural and they work and some simply don't. But your love of family should supersede those simple connections of like. And that's really what we're going to be looking at together in the Scripture. The love of family is far deeper than the simple connection of whether or not we like or get along easily. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're initially going to read 7 through to 16. 1 John 4, 7 through to 16. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Saviour. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Dear friends, The affection in the church is shown straight away by John's starting of this passage, the deep affection that he has. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Why should we love one another in this room right now whom are different from us, who we don't easily get along with? Why should we love the people in this room who may, in fact, even have hurt us at some stage? Well, John gives the answer, doesn't he? Let us love one another because love is from God. The conclusion that John draws for us is rather strong. And it's good for you and I to have to chew on and wrestle with. Why should we love one another? Because everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, he's not saying that anyone who loves has been born of God. Simply loving doesn't make you a Christian. Remember, he's addressing the church in this passage. And in addressing the church, he is saying those in the church who are, in fact, born again will love with the love of God. Those who God's love, those who have God's love will love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Conversely, says John, 
The one who does not love does not know God. Feel the weight of that statement. The one who does not love, and in the context of this passage, the one who does not love his brothers and sisters. The one who does not love, look around this room if you are a Christian here this morning, the one who does not love the people of this room does not know Jesus. Strong words. We love because God is love. Now this doesn't, it's not really an argument, an ontological argument about the essence of God being love. What this passage is really saying is God in His being is loving. In His nature, He is loving. How do we know that God in His nature is loving? Well, that's verse 9 in our passage, right? John explains that to us. How do we know that God is loving? God's love was revealed among us when He sent His only Son so that we could have life in Him. Right? How do we know that God is loving? Because God was willing to send His Son. Can we pause just for a moment? I want to ask you a couple of questions. Who are you truly? Who's the hidden you? Who's the you that's revealed only in your private thoughts? Who's the you that when right now you stood before the holy God who will not tolerate sin, who's the you of your flesh when you have to stand before God? Who are you when God says any sin will remove you from his presence? Who are you when the scripture says if you exchange anything for the glory of God, you deserve death. See, the reality is all of us stand absolutely condemned and deserving of damnation. My point is, the Scripture tells us that God sent Jesus to die for you while you were yet a sinner. While you were in rebellion against God, while your very life stood as a testimony to rejection of God and love of the world and sin, while your life stood as the very thing that God hates and cannot tolerate in that state, God sent His Son, His only Son, to pay the penalty of your sin. Is that not love? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Who we truly are, that hidden you that you don't want anyone to see because your thoughts are depraved. And Jesus said, you're mine, and he paid the penalty of your sin. This is the profound nature of the good news. And this, that love, is how the Scripture says we are to love one another. The love of God that sent the Son is the love that we are to have for one another. I don't think it's stretched to say that you are not capable of that love, church. 
and nor am I. The human heart simply cannot love like God can love. But as we stay connected to God, as we are filled with His Spirit, then the love of God indeed flows through us. And we are able to extend sacrificial love, love with grace, because we're connected to Christ. That's the next part of our passage from verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. The strength of our love is not that we love God. You and I are fickle people. Loving, falling out of love, loving sometimes, failing to love another times. We are fickle. The strength of our love is not that we love God. No, the strength of our relationship is that God loves us. That's what John wants us to understand. You're anchored in the love of God. And because you're anchored in the love of God, which does not fail, then that love leads you to love one another. The love of God compels us because His love is unending. God sent Jesus to atone for our sin, to pay the penalty of our sin. Jesus, the sinless one, went to the cross because of our sin. He suffered and died for our sin. And He gave us His righteousness. This is the love of God. Church, if God, if you know deep in your heart, if you know deep in your soul that God has loved you like this, if you know that you are undeserving and that God sent His only Son to atone for your sins, while you despised God. If you know how much you deserved damnation when Jesus went to the cross for you, then what could stop you from loving your brother and sister? To add more weight on this, John builds a theme that we saw in the Gospel of John as well. And it's a wonderful thing for us to remember. That loving God and loving with the love of God goes beyond simply the experience of that love, but it has a profound impact as well. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us. What's the point of that? That although people don't physically see God, they should experience God's presence in the love of the church. Do you remember back in the Gospel of John? 
as they experience the love and unity of the church, we talked about this a lot, as they see a love that doesn't exist in the world, as they see a love that always offers forgiveness, as they see a love of incredible grace, as they see a love that crosses every social, racial, gender, whatever boundary you try and invent, they see a love that crosses that, and in the name of Jesus, they experience an otherworldly love, and it makes them have to say that the love that I have found in this place proves that Jesus is from God because that love can only have come from God. That's what John told us back in his gospel. And this is John speaking again. And he says, God is invisible, yet he's made visible in the love of his people. That's who we are, church. It goes beyond our experience of love, beyond our experience even of loving one another, but it actually goes to the heart of us showing an image of the invisible God by seeing his character lived out in his people. Man, come on, this is what the scripture is calling us to. If you are sitting here saying, I'm not loved like that in the church. I haven't experienced love like that in the church. Remember what the Scripture's chief point here is. The call of Scripture is not for you to receive it, but to give it to one another. And as we all start extending that love to one another, then we'll all start experiencing it and receiving it, right? Get involved in loving others. It will make a difference and find its way back. It's a big call, like I said, isn't it? Who can perfectly love like this? And the answer is no one. But Jesus can. And so John anchors our soul to God's love again to give us the strength to keep loving, to keep holding on, to keep forgiving, because Ultimately, it's not about you or your capacity to love. It's about you staying connected to God and His love working through you. This is where love comes from. From 13 to 16, John reminds us that we are filled with the Spirit who affirms to us, who reminds us, who molds us and tells us that we are in God. The Spirit testifies that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that you and I are saved because we believe in and trust and follow Jesus. And therefore, we know we are held in His love. This is, as I said, the anchor. This is why you continue to love your brothers and sisters even after being hurt because we are anchored in Christ's love held in His grace, and in that place, we continue to extend love to one another. It's a challenge. It's a big call. It's hard. And if you're struggling to love, then anchor yourself again in God's love for you, an undeserving sinner. And then let that bring you back to grace and love for others. All right, here's the second and final part of our passage 
1 John 4, 16 to 21. 1 John 4, 16 to 21. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in his love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we have, may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Amen. Love is complete in us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, I'm guessing that some of you are sitting there thinking that sounds a little bit confusing. Uh, and that is okay. I think it does as well. So let me explain that to you. The first part is clear. That filled with God's love and loving God we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Amen? Filled with the love of God, knowing He loves you, knowing that Jesus paid the penalty of your sin, on that day, God will destroy His enemies, but you won't be afraid because you are loved and you know through Christ you are not the enemy of God. Amen? We do not fear. But as He is, so also are we in the world. What does that mean? Well, in the context, this gives us the meaning. If we're going to write it a little less literally, but to convey the point, it says this, believers who love one another in the world, in the same way as Christ loved his disciples when he was in the world, show they live in God, and therefore they have no need to fear when they face the judgment. In other words, when we live in the love for one another, as Christ lived and loved his disciples, we show we are connected to God and we have no reason to fear. Now, the Bible gives us what I think is the clearest example of this in the entirety of the scriptures in the world or anything we want to look at. And I'm going to give you a really quick story. I've mentioned this before, but it's just amazing. In the 12 disciples we had Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were a revolutionary group whose chief aim was to have no other ruler than God. Specifically, of course, Rome at this stage, who ruled over the Jews. So, the Zealots were uh, bent on overthrowing uh, Roman rule. Some people call them the first terrorists because we can read about them resorting to acts of murder and death in order to bring about the destruction of Roman rule. This was the Zealots. Among Jesus' 12 that he picked was Simon the Zealot. It was actually the Zealots who in AD 66 actually tried to overthrow Rome, 
uh, the Romans beat them, and in AD 70, they removed all Jews from Jerusalem. They did not get to return until 1948, right? So that was the actual zealots who had a go. Twelve people, Simon the zealot. And then Jesus says, amongst those twelve people, I'm going to pick Matthew, the tax collector. Who were the tax collectors? Jews who basically have decided to accommodate Roman rule, and not only that, collect taxes from their Jewish brothers on behalf of the Roman government. All Jews viewed them as betraying the Jewish people. Then you go, I've got 12 guys I'm going to hang out with. You know what would be really fun? A tax collector and a zealot on my team, right? It makes no worldly sense. It just doesn't. It's just pure insanity. You know, you would expect Simon to stab Matthew to death day one. This is seriously what you're thinking is going to happen. But because Jesus brings them into the love of Christ, that's not what unfolds. Instead, we have 12 disparate men eating together, ministering together, working together, sleeping near each other, right? All of this because Christ can unite anyone in the love of God. Church, come on. There's no one in this room that Christ can't reconcile us to. Right? Now, as I said, you're not going to be best friends with everyone in the room. Seriously, it just doesn't work that way. But you can want the absolute best for everyone in this room, can't you? Right? That's what we want to see occurring. Jesus knew that his love would transform their hearts. And John is saying the love of Christ should transform ours. Right? This is the strength of that passage. But I want to rewrite the passage a little bit here in my own words. I'm going to re-engineer it to say the reverse. just want you to hear what it would say following the exact same structure in reverse. Believers who give up the church and show that they do not love one another as Christ loved his disciples when he was on the earth show that they do not live in God and should therefore have great fear on the day of judgment. Right? That's the exact reverse of what Christ said. Those who give up the church, who don't love like Jesus loved his disciples, show that they do not live in God and therefore should have great fear on the day of judgment. That's the exact reverse of what Christ is saying in the sense of what would happen if we don't love one another like that. I think probably the greatest heresy going around the church today and probably the dumbest position that people can hold is I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to or belong to a church. Like you needing the church has anything to do with why you go. Christ died to bring the church into being and he will come back for his bride, the church. By your love for one another, you will be known as his disciples. And by your love for one another, you will show that you remain in his love and do not need to fear on the day of judgment. This is not my concept. This is not the Bible according to Sam. Listen to the next little bit of our passage. Listen really carefully to what it's saying. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. 
For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Church, love does not operate from a distance. I love my brothers and sisters. I just don't go to a church or have anything to do with them. That's not love. The love that we've been reading about here, the whole context of this love is love that took Jesus to the cross. It's love that drove Jesus to share his entire life with his disciples. It's love that Paul described among the church in Thessalonians. We were gentle and caring among you like a mother caring for her children. It's incredibly up close. Jesus says we are all parts of the one body. Are you getting the picture? It's not love from a distance. It's love that's meshed together in the body of Christ. And it's in that place that we are meant to see the love of God shown. This is the love of church. And guess what? Like any family, it has its ups and downs. Amen? Has its arguments. Has its forgiveness. Has brokenness has healing, because that's the reality of being a family. We are not perfect. These breakdowns in relationship happen, and they happen like they sometimes do in the world. But it's the way we respond to them that models the love of Christ. He was willing to go to the cross, to take the initiative to die for us while we were yet sinners. And the love of Christ in the church means we are the ones who are willing to take the initiative to right the wrong with our brother or sister. That is what makes us so different. We have a sacrificial love that considers the needs of others ahead of my own, will humble myself, don't need to have it my way. I would rather live in love and unity with my brother or sister than live in my indignant pride that I'm right. That's the love of Christ that we are called to. Here is something we have to get right. Have to get right, just as we're coming to a close. Loving one another like Jesus loved the disciples does not mean always affirming, always accepting, always giving. That would not accurately describe the love of Jesus for his disciples, would it? Would it? Jesus rebuked. He corrected poor theology. He corrected misunderstanding of the word. He didn't always answer their requests like calling down thunder to destroy people, right? Like he, he I'm glad that doesn't happen in the church. Uh, all right, um, he didn't answer their every request. He was prepared to rebuke. He was prepared to challenge. He also encouraged them. He also forgave them. He also loved them when they fell short of where his love would have hoped they would be. For us to be a church that is scripturally true, then we must be a church of mercy, compassion, kindness, 
that flows out of first a church that loves with the love of God. A church that knows deeply because we cling to the gospel that we are loved by Christ. Because we cling to the truth that we were never worthy of the gospel, but God out of his great love paid the penalty of our sin and he has given us salvation forevermore independent of our works because of his grace and love. And because we are a church that's anchored in the truth that we are saved by the love of God, then in that freedom, in that love that surrounds us, we are able to extend that grace and love to others. First, to those in the family of God but also to others as the opportunity arises to reveal the heart of God. Church, this is who we are meant to be. Our love for one another reveals the character of the invisible God to a world that desperately needs to know Him. As we love one another, as we proclaim the good news, as people from the world who don't yet know God Come and join us sometimes. Come into our midst. And that could be here on a Sunday or it could be at a bush dance where we're kicking up our heels or it could be uh, at a women's conference or it could be at Thursday night kids club or it could be among the staff out of BYLC. I don't care where it is. As they come into the community of the brothers and sisters of Christ who are filled with the love of God, then they get to taste a little of who God is by the love we have for one another. Amen? That's God's call on us as a church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we have stated, we know that we do not love perfectly. Lord, you do, and we see the perfect expression of that love in Jesus coming and paying the penalty of our sin. But your word is clear, Lord, that when we look to you, when we stay connected to you, when we are filled with your spirit, when our lives are centered on Christ, then your love will flow through us. A love that doesn't need to have it our own way, a love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, a love that is gracious and forgiving and generous and kind. Lord, may we as a church show the character of God in our love for one another. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.